listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. Trinity Church Chester is a new church seeking to reach the city with the good news of Jesus Christ. And at the heart of our ministry is our Sunday worship service, in which we hear a sermon preached from a particular part of the Bible. We're glad you're listening. We'd love to see you in person at the Welsh Presbyterian Church Building on St. John Street in the city centre. We meet there every Sunday at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you can find more details on our website trinitychester.church Come and join us as we seek to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Galatians 5, 16-26 Let's hear God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. This is God's word. Well, here at Trinity, um, we're beginning today a new sermon series on what the Apostle Paul referred to in the passage we just read as the fruit of the Spirit. This famous list of nine virtues, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And when you read that list, when you read what's listed, it's easy to realise why it is such a well-known part of the Bible. There's a certain quality to these terms that appeals to us and makes us desire these things for ourselves. I remember finding out after one particular church service in my previous church in which these verses had been read, that one man turned to his wife after the reading and said to her, I need more of this in relation to the children. And reflecting on the fruit of the Spirit here is like that, isn't it? When we read of love, joy, peace, patience and so on, we recognise a certain lack of this fruit in our lives and we find ourselves longing that it would be different, that our lives would bear more of this fruit. And so the question becomes, how? How can we bear more of this fruit? How can we live a fruitful life in this sense? 
How can we become more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient? Well, in order to discover how we can live a more fruitful life, we need to begin by understanding the environment in which a fruitful life can be lived. That is to say, we need to take note of the context in which we find these famous verses from the Apostle Paul. Because this list of virtues is not the only thing he wrote to the churches in Galatia. It's just a small part of this larger letter we refer to as Galatians. And there are three things I want us to look at in our passage this afternoon. Three features of the environment in which our lives can bear this fruit. In Galatians 5, Paul teaches us that a fruitful life can only be lived when we're brought into a new world, when we're given a new nature, and when we're enlisted to fight in a new war. A new world, a new nature, a new war. Firstly then, if you and I are to live fruitful lives, lives that are characterised by the fruit of the Spirit, we need to be brought into a new world. That is to say, we need to be brought into a whole new realm of existence. Now, what does that mean, and where does Paul teach this in our passage? Well, it's probably not immediately obvious to us that Paul is teaching here that to live a fruitful life, we need to be brought into a whole new realm of existence. For a start, he doesn't write in those terms. He doesn't refer directly to a new world or a new realm. And in fact, one of the difficulties people often have with Galatians is that it's not always immediately clear what Paul means by the terms that he uses in the letter. What does he mean when he refers to the law in Galatians? What does he mean when he refers to the flesh? What does he mean when he speaks of walking by the Spirit? These are terms that he uses throughout the letter, and they're terms that he uses in the passage we are looking at today. As we read from Galatians 5, you probably picked up on the fact that Paul is outlining a contrast, a distinction, a significant difference that exists between what he refers to as the flesh... And what he refers to as the spirit. It's a distinction that dominates the passage. In verse 16, we are urged to walk by the spirit. And to do so will mean that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In verse 17, Paul goes on to explain that the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are against each other. The spirit is opposed to the flesh and the flesh is opposed to the spirit. In verse 19 to 21, before he lists the fruit of the Spirit, Paul lists the works of the flesh. And so this much is clear at least. On the one hand we have the Spirit, and on the other hand we have the flesh, and there is a great difference between the two, to the point that Paul refers to them being opposed to one another. But what exactly is this contrast all about? What's it got to do with living fruitful lives? Well, in a nutshell... Paul is outlining a contrast here between two distinct worlds, two distinct realms, two distinct ages, the realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit, the age of the flesh, the age of the spirit. When Paul instructs us to walk by the spirit, when he refers to us being led by the spirit and living by the spirit, as he does in verse 18 and verse 25, he's referring to us living 
in the realm of the spirits, in, in the age of the spirit. He's referring to us living out our lives within this whole new world of existence into which we've been brought as Christians. To walk by the spirit, to be led by the spirit, is not something that is mysterious and mystical or overly spiritual, as though Paul is in some way instructing us to abandon all reason and to somehow be sensitive to how the Spirit is leading us and to live our lives accordingly, even when there seems very little sense to the direction we might be taking. That's not what Paul has in mind here. It's easy to make the mistake of thinking that's what he means by these terms if we don't reflect on them. Uh, It's also easy to make a similar mistake of thinking that when Paul uses the term flesh, we can think that he's referring to what is physical, our physical flesh, as though he views our physical bodies and the physical world around us as being something negative, something from which we need to escape in order to be properly spiritual people who walk by the Spirit and so on. But it's clear that that's not what Paul means by the term flesh either. Just look at what he lists in verses 19 to 21 as the works of the flesh. Uh, If by flesh, Paul means to teach us that the physical realm is inherently evil and something to be escaped, then we would expect all of the works of the flesh to be physical works, physical deeds and action. Well, some of them are, but not all of them. Idolatry, strife, jealousy, envy, they're not physical acts. Because the contrast Paul is outlining between the flesh and the spirit is not a contrast between the physical and the spiritual, but it's a contrast between two distinct realms of existence. There's the realm of the flesh and there's the realm of the spirit. And the Christian, the person who repents of their sin and trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ, that person is brought into the realm of the spirit. We are brought into, as it were, a new world, a new environment. Before a person is brought into that new world, the the realm of the spirit, that person exists solely in the realm of the flesh. Uh, That is the world, the environment, in which we each live by nature. It's a realm that is characterised by the works listed in verses 19 to 21. And all who live only in this realm find that these works, they simply come naturally to them. These are the things that grow in the soil that exists in the world of the flesh. Paul writes in verse 19 that the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Now, it isn't the case that every person who isn't a Christian is is guilty of these acts, at least not in their grossest and most serious form. But it is the case that every one of us naturally has within the capacity for these acts. And in the right circumstances, or perhaps we should say the wrong circumstances, that capacity will become evident by us committing these acts. This is what is produced in the realm of the flesh. This is what we produce by nature as fallen and sinful human beings. So here's the point. If we're going to produce not the works of the flesh, but instead the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to be brought into the realm of the Spirit. We need to be brought into and planted in a new world, as it were. 
And Paul is outlining that is exactly what takes place when a person becomes a Christian. When a person is brought to faith in Christ, that person is brought into the realm of the Spirit. In the realm of the flesh, all that we can naturally produce are works that are offensive to God and are opposed to his intention, that we live for his glory and for the good of those around us. Anything we do in that existence that is for the good of those around us, anything we do that resembles the fruit of the Spirit before we come to live in the realm of the Spirit, we do not because we have a natural ability within us to do those things, to do good, but because God graciously restrains us from being as evil as we might otherwise be. That's what theologians refer to as common grace, the way in which God causes all people to do some good in this life, even if they don't worship him. But when a person is brought to worship him, when you and I are brought to the end of ourselves and we humbly turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, we're brought into a whole new realm of existence. We now live, Paul says, in the Spirit. And we are enabled by the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit and to put to death the desires of the flesh that we still find within ourselves. And so to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, is to live a life that is characterised more and more by the fruit of the Spirit. Something that happens only when we are brought into the realm of the Spirit. So having brought us into this new world, how does the Spirit then cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit? Well, he does two things. And these are what we're looking at in our second and third points. He gives us a new nature and he enlists us in a new war. Secondly then, a new nature. Those who are brought into this new world are given a new nature. Now this goes hand in hand with being brought into the realm of the Spirit. If we are to live in a realm that is characterised not by the works of the flesh, but by the fruit of the Spirit, then we need to be made fit for purpose. Naturally, we are fit to do nothing but produce the works of the flesh. And so we need to be remade in order that we are capable of a new way of life in the new sphere in which we live. It's a little bit like when a person decides that they're going to hike up Mount Everest. And I don't think any of us here, as far as I'm aware, have decided that we're going to hike up Mount Everest. At least I'm not aware of any of us that have followed through on that decision. Um, but, But Mount Everest, in comparison to Cheshire, is almost an entirely different world. Um, The terrain of the mountain is such that walking up Molvamai probably wouldn't be effective training for the conditions you'd experience underfoot on Mount Everest. And if nothing else, the atmosphere as you progress further up Mount Everest becomes less and less like the atmosphere that our lungs and our bodies are used to. So much so that if we were to successfully hike up Mount Everest, we would need to travel, first of all, to a different location, which has a different climate and an atmosphere similar to Mount Everest. We need to engage in some form of high-altitude training in order that our bodies might adapt and be made fit for purpose. Similarly, 
If we now are going to live in the realm of the Spirit and so bear the fruit of the Spirit, we need to be made fit for purpose. We need a new nature. Our old nature, who we are naturally, is only fit to do the works of the flesh. And so God, by his grace, when he brings us into the realm of the Spirit, remakes us with a new nature, fit for the new world in which we live. And when that happens, nothing changes to us physically. It may be that nothing at all changes outwardly, in the sense that our circumstances may not change when God brings us into this new world and gives us this new nature. Life may well be just as difficult as it was before, if not more so. But what does begin to change is our character. Now, in the realm of the Spirit, having been given a new nature by the Spirit, we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We begin to be characterised more and more by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. How do we live increasingly fruitful lives? Well, we are brought into the realm of the Spirit and we are given a nature that is now capable of bearing the fruit of the Spirit. At which point we need to pause and reflect on something that is really quite obvious, but still we often neglect it. And that is that growth in the Christian life, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, is something that is carried out first and foremost by the Spirit. Now, when you stop and think about it, it is such an obvious point. These nine virtues that we each desire for ourselves are called the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, amongst other things, that description emphasises for us that it's the Spirit who causes us to bear this fruit. He is the head gardener in this sense. He's in charge of what grows in his garden and in, in which season it grows. He knows the best environment for each one of us in which this fruit can grow. He is the one overseeing and responsible for our growth. It is not ultimately down to us, but down to him. Now that doesn't make us entirely passive in the whole process, we'll see in a moment, but what it does mean is that our hope for fruitful living is not ultimately found in our effort. It is not found in our capacity to train ourselves to be more loving or to discipline ourselves to be more joyful and peaceful and patient and so on. Instead, our hope for fruitful living is found in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit has brought us into this new realm of existence. He has given us a nature fit for living here. And he is at work bearing fruit in our lives. We really need to take this on board as we begin to consider this list of virtues in Galatians 5. If we approach this with the attitude that if we can just define clearly what Paul means by each of these virtues, then we can go away and we can begin to cultivate this fruit in our lives by our own efforts. If we begin with that attitude, we're beginning all wrong. We need to start by recognising our dependence on the Spirit to work in our lives. I wonder how much our apparent lack of fruitfulness the many ways in which we don't appear to be growing in love and joy and peace and patience and so on, I wonder how much that is down to the fact 
we don't recognise the extent of what God has done for us and continues to do for us. Now, just, just think about what we've been considering already this afternoon. God, by his grace, has brought us into an entirely new existence. He has given us new life. He's given us a new nature. And he is now at work changing us. It's incredible. It is too easy in the Christian life to minimise what God has done and maximise the responsibility we now have to live for him. In my experience, we tend to view what God has done merely in terms of a transaction, often. Our understanding of the gospel tends to be that the Lord Jesus Christ has taken our sin and has given us forgiveness. That's the transaction that takes place. And as true as that is, and as wonderful as that is, when we view the gospel as being nothing more than that, we tend to then view life after that transaction as being mainly down to us and our efforts to live as God calls us to live. And the fruit of that way of living tends to be very different to the fruit listed in Galatians 5. Instead of love... It's insecurity. Instead of joy, it's despair. Instead of peace, it's a certain anxiety regarding our true standing before God. Because the fruit of the Spirit is not something that is ultimately cultivated by us and our effort, but by the work of the Spirit himself within us. When we realise that, when we begin to realise the extent of the gospel... That God has not only transferred our sin to Christ and Christ's righteousness to us, but in doing so, he has also brought us into the realm of the Spirit and has given us a new nature fit for living in the Spirit. Then our starting point for fruitful living is not found in taking a long, hard look at ourselves, but it's found in acknowledging our dependence on the Spirit. That's where we need to begin as we begin to reflect on the fruit of the Spirit. Fruitful living begins as we're brought into a new world, we're given a new nature. Thirdly, finally, briefly, the Spirit then enlists us in a new war. Paul uses warfare language to describe the contrast between the flesh and the Spirit in Galatians 5. In verse 17, he writes that the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other. Paul is talking about the war that every Christian experiences in this life. And the reason we experience it is because although we've been brought into a new world, the realm of the spirit, we continue to live in the old world to the realm of the flesh. And although we've been given a new nature, in this life we continue to battle with our old nature. It's as though as Christians in this life we straddle two worlds. And we experience an internal battle between two natures. The realm of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. Our old nature was only capable of producing the works of the flesh and our new nature in which the Spirit is renewing us and causing us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. And I suspect that you don't need any persuading that this is true, do you? 
Isn't it our experience as Christians that we continue to find within us the desires of the flesh, desires that are contrary to God's will, desires that are at odds with our new nature? Why is it that that is the case for each of us? It is because when God works in our heart and brings us to faith, for the rest of our lives, until we die or Christ returns, we experience this war between the flesh and the spirit And we experience it up close and personal, even in our own hearts, in ourselves. There are a couple of things that we can say about this war. Uh, The first is that it's a war in which God calls us to fight. And it's a fight that needs to take place at the level of our desires. Paul writes in verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The instruction to walk by the Spirit, to seek the fruit of the Spirit, is on the flip side an instruction to not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those desires that you still find within yourself, desires that are contrary to God's will that's revealed through his word, you need to fight against them, Paul is saying. And that is where you are called up to take arms and fight the desire that belongs to your old nature, All those desires, do not give them room to breathe. Do not act as though it is possible to revisit these sinful desires that may have given you pleasure before you became a Christian and think to yourself, it's fine. God will still forgive me. Because as certain as the Lord's forgiveness is for all who turn to him in repentance, that is not the way to fruitful living. We shouldn't be surprised to find ourselves bemoaning how much we lack the fruit of the Spirit when we continue to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the war you are enlisted in, Christian. You are called to fight. So the question is, are you fighting? Are you confident that the Spirit will grant you success, seeking to kill the desires of the flesh? The sinful desires of your old nature. Yet there's something else that we can say about this war, and it's this. Although it's a war that continues to rumble on, for now at least, it's a war that has already been won. Paul makes this clear in verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Uh, There are people out there who are highly skilled in analysing and assessing warfare. It's skilful work. It's skilful work because as a war unfolds, it is by no means clear which side is winning all of the time. Um, Just think of the news reports you read and hear on the various conflicts around the world right now and how difficult it is to discern which side is likely to defeat the other and how often there are wildly different assessments by different people. But when it comes to the new war that you have been enlisted in, the war waged against the flesh by the Spirit, there is no question about which way it is going to go. Paul is clear in verse 24, the flesh has been crucified. Its passions, the sinful emotions and motives we feel so strongly at times, its desires have been crucified. When Christ died, the war was won. And 
it wasn't merely one in a general sense, but it was one for you, for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The war, as you experience it, even today, even this week, the particular desires you need to fight against, the war was won when Christ died. Because when Christ died, he broke the power of the flesh. By nature, we are enslaved to the power of the flesh and we can produce nothing but the works of the flesh. But in Christ, we're released from that enslaving power. We're freed from the prison of the realm of the flesh and we're brought into the realm of the Spirit. All of which explains why it is that Paul can say in verse 24 that it is those who belong to Christ Jesus who have crucified the flesh. It's interesting. When did we crucify the flesh? That's what Paul is saying. When did you and I land such a mortal blow to our sinful nature? Well, in a sense, we didn't. But in another sense, we did. Because underpinning all that Paul is outlining for us here is the understanding that the most fundamental work that the Spirit does in our lives, the overarching work that the Spirit does in us, is that he unites us in an unbreakable bond with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it is true that when Christ crucified the flesh in his death, we, united to him, crucified the flesh. And it is as the Spirit unites us to Christ that we are brought into the realm of the Spirit and we're given a new nature fit to live there. And because the Spirit unites us to Christ, it becomes an inevitability that we will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is, when you think about it, a reflection on what Christ is like, the one whom the Spirit has united us to. For you and for your salvation, Jonathan Landry Cruz writes, Christ came down from heaven and was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, in grateful obedience, you may be these things for him. Friends, however discouraged you might be at the apparent lack of fruit in your life, take heart. You are united to Christ by the Spirit. This new world, this new nature, they are yours. And this new war will one day be over. And until it is, we have all that we need to fight and we have all that we need in order to grow. Take heart, live by the Spirit. And so let us walk by the Spirit, Paul says. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray that the truth of your word might take root in our hearts and indeed 
bear much fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Trinity Church Chester Sermon Podcast. We hope that this message is a blessing to you. If you'd like to know more about the Christian faith and what it means to live as a Christian, please do get in touch. You can email hello at trinitychester.church or head to the Connect page on our website, trinitychester.church forward slash connect. We'd love to hear from you soon.